What's up, everyone? Welcome to Making the Shift. Where we listen to autistic voices, explore new therapy ideas, and share neurodiversity-affirming methods and strengths-based approaches to support autistic kids. Because we're not here to try and, quote, fix kids. We are here to love them, embrace them, and celebrate them for who they are. I'm Jesse Ginsberg, sensory integration trained SLP, founder of a top-rated speech therapy clinic in Los Angeles, and creator of the Inside Out Sensory Certificate for SLPs. And I'm Chris Winger, also known as Speech Dude, high school SLP and creator of the Dynamic Assessment for Social-Emotional Learning. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Welcome back for episode three of Making the Shift. I'm Jesse Ginsburg. And I'm Chris Winger. I feel like our outfits look good today together. We did some good. Chris is in this light purple and I'm in, what do you call this, teal? That would be teal, absolutely. And I'm wearing my new sweatshirt. It says Be the Schwa and everyone asked me what that means and I didn't even know. I got this as a gift from Help Me Grow Speech, but it means be unstressed. That's right. So that is I like vibe. living a life of being unstressed. A I little, know about that. Yeah, well, I feel like you you have too low of a stress level for, for me like that. I am always pretty, I, you know what I can say for the most part, I my stress levels stay low. Right, but that's what I'm saying is like, sometimes maybe you need to be a little more stressed. Cold showers in the morning. The cold <laughs> showers help me work on my breathing and so for the rest of the day, I'm less stressed because going into the cold showers is stressful. So I know if I start my day off with a lot of stress, the rest of the day will be not so stressed. That's how that one works. Okay. Chris is Tony robbins us. I just made a verb. And for more uh, Tony Robbins tours by Speech Dude, you can catch me <laughs> tomorrow in Philadelphia at 8 o'clock. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, we're really excited about today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been talking about this. We have a great topic that we're going to talk about, but I wanted to share a story real quick. I had posted on my TikTok and on my Instagram, on social media, I should say, um, just about when we work with our autistic students, we tend to work on goals like perspective taking. But I think that one of the equally as important, if not more important things, is perspective giving. And so I did a video about like the scenarios of, you know, what, what would, would you like it if you were forced into having to interact with other parents and yada, yada. And so one of the comments on my TikTok um, account on that video, um, the person said, Hey, this is totally random and totally uh, out there. But you know, my husband just said that you sound like Rob Lowe. And I was like, you know what? This is just like such a cool thing. So well, um, yeah. I, I wanted to follow up with I my... wonder why you're sharing this story. What? Rob Lowe, like the king. I feel like he's like known as the the good looking guy. Is it on um Parks and Rec? I have Where no he's... clue what he's on, but I was gonna <laughs> ask you guys a question. And this question is related to this. How many lows? Could Rob Lowe rob if Rob Lowe could rob Lowe's? That's my question for you tonight. Now we're going to transition into our topic, though. Thank you for that dad joke. <laughs> also, maybe people don't have Lowe's where they're watching. It's a hardware store if anyone if anyone really wanted to um, make sense of that dad joke. Yeah, there you We've go. We've got him for days. I think that everyone knows. 
I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Lowe's is like Home Depot. Yeah, there we go. So, yeah, I mean, our topic is about um, perspective giving and our topic is about working with how can we best and most effectively work with our autistic students? What little known secrets, um, what's the secret sauce to getting these kids friendships? But part of that is what we had talked about in episode two, which is really helping parents learn about these types of things too, right? Don't you think that's kind of like something that... Oh, 100%. And I mean, I think this whole topic starts with parents. And we talked about this on social media earlier this week, but we talked about if you could go up to any parent and say, what do you want for your kid? Their answer, I mean, it's got to be 99% of the time. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. It's got to be, I want my kid to be happy. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted you... to, So I actually um, have some information that I wanted to transition into that you didn't know about. This is off the cuff. I took some notes earlier, but I came by a journal art article in the Journal of Autism Spectrum Disorders. Um, one of the authors that I have been a fan of um, that was part of this study, her name's Erin Finke. She's a speech pathologist. Jesse and I saw her out in uh, Asha. Asha, Washington, D.C., they did a study with some parents, and part of the study was with 66 parents of, um, of parents who have autistic children, and they were grouped into six subgroups. And in the six subgroups, they had 11 people each, and it went over the lifespan um, of age brackets. Uh, the title of it is Parental Hopes for Children with ASD Across the Lifespan. The first group of parents that they had... Um, they ask, what are your hopes for your child when it comes to your child's happiness? So those who, I'm going to give you a quote. So we know exactly what's going on in the parents' minds. And you're going to know exactly what's going on in the parents' minds. When they just, when they just got the diagnosis, like, hey, your child um, has a diagnosis of autism. We want to ask you, though, what are your hopes for your child when it comes to their happiness? So the parent stated, my hope for my daughter is that she continues to be the best that she can be and the happiest she can be. I think that's profound, right? Because it lets us know, hey, that is right when you get the diagnosis, the level and the importance of parents um, at that stage. Let's see if it changes. Early elementary school. Parent states, my hope is he lives a happy, healthy life. I hope he never stops smelling the roses, mm. I, right? I know yeah, it's like, so we're seeing between those two age groups, the commonality is the same. I just hope that my child's happy and lives a good life. Okay, let's get into, let's jump ahead forward to high school. One of the parents said, my hope for my son is that he be happy, surrounded by those who love him unconditionally. Um. And then a parent when for their, for in the adult years stated for their son, I would like for him to get a job that he can support himself with and find love and be happy. Do you see the commonality? Do you see the common theme here between parents' responses of what their hopes are for their child's happiness it's a resounding commonality. And if we know that's what the parents want, then that guides us to try to make the most effective therapy sessions we can with our students. That's what this whole neurodiversity movement's all about. 
supporting our children, supporting our the autistic population so we could live a happy life. Well, that's interesting because in that study, you know, it doesn't talk about it doesn't tell you that relationships are the key to happiness, but that's what parents already know to be true. But we should, for those who didn't catch our social post, we should tell them about the study really quickly okay. that we talked about, sure. about um, happiness over the lifetime. Uh, um, about the happiness over study. Oh, the was grant study. Yeah. So, um, so the grant study was a research study that was done over decades. Essentially, it was about what is the level of happiness and how do you, what, what was the biggest predictor of a, a happy life? And in the final um, report, it stated to love and be loved. Yeah. Was this person loved and did this person love someone else? And how just beautifully simple idea is that? Like if we go into life focusing so much on our relationships, knowing in this life is relationships, you know, and we think about our therapy from that perspective, that is ultimately what's going to lead us to happiness. Right. But at the same time, we have to be mindful of when we connect people with other people, we want to make sure that it's done in a way that they want, right? Nobody wants a forced friendship. Yeah. What was I just thinking about? This mom brain got me, but I feel like the, the link between happiness and relationships, it's just that the problem with our misperception of autism is that kids don't, they prefer to be alone. They don't want friends. They want to be by themselves. And there's this huge misconception that kids don't want to be social. So I think that that's a huge problem, first of all, because we know that that's not the case. And second of all, if we know that relationships are the foundation of happiness in our lifetime, then that should be at the forefront of therapy. But yeah, like you said, you don't want to be forcing people into friendships. And I was just thinking about that example you gave during, we were recently in Australia, you gave an example during one of the seminars of like talking to kids or whatever, parents at the park. Give that example. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> we, uh, I, I just shared like the perspective, as I mentioned earlier, um, at the start was that perspective giving, like being at, like, let's say you're at the park, right. And you're not allowed to use your social media. You're not allowed to check your emails. You're not allowed to do any of that. You actually are forced to have to go interact with the other parents and you have to talk about non-preferred topics for the duration of that. How would you feel? You'd get a lot of anxiety. You'd get frustrated. You'd get antsy. And you know what? You'd end up not wanting to go back to the next children's party because you would be like, nope, that's just not me. Friendships should be fun. It should be a fun experience. Friendship shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't be something that feels like torture. You know what I mean? So what I'd like you to do um, is think about this perspective as well. I'd like you to think about the perspective that um, how you form relationships, how you form friendships, because that really sets the ground of moving forward. So do, are have you been forced to join and have friends with someone else or did it form naturally? Like when you go out somewhere, how did your friendships form? I think that's where we can really shift perspective and, and build from there. Yeah. So should we share some of these stats? We yeah, 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 absolutely. Like they're, 
So when Chris and I were at ASHA, we saw Aaron Finke speak, and this was just one of those mind-blowing things. It's like one of those things you learn and you're like, well, I knew that all along. It just took you saying it to make me realize it almost um, because it really changes the way that we do our therapy. So here are some statistics for you. Um, like we said, this was a survey done by Aaron Finke. It was with autistic young adults, I believe. I don't have the age range on the top of my head. We'll have to find that so we can link it. I think 18 to 25. Thank you. I think. I'm pretty sure. So here are some statistics that that she found because what was so game-changing about this research uh, was it was her saying, well, why don't we ask our autistic, uh, I was going to say kids, but not kids, I guess, adults, young adults, what they want for once, right? Because we're always assuming that our kids want what we want or that someone else, the next person wants what we want. But what if what they want is totally different? And the results were really, truly just that, that what she found autistic adults wanted out of friendships did vary from what neurotypical or non-autistic, I should say, adults wanted out of friendships. So here's some of the statistics for you. Okay. Autistic people are three and a half times more likely to want to talk on the phone to make arrangements rather than talk on the phone to chat. That's funny because you're like that. You hate the chatting. I don't like bubbly, chitty, chatty stuff. You can stuff. chat up to 10 minutes. And that was like, I remember when we were dating, that was like, a, it was like, I almost knew after right as we were hitting the 10 minute mark because I was starting to lose you. Uh, that's all I can sustain attention for. That's <laughs> how I was in high school and my whole, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's another one for you. Autistic adults are 4.8 times more likely that they would rather meet up with a friend for a specific activity. So actually meeting up because there's something that they want to do, um, which is funny because it just makes me think back to my college days where it was like, yeah, come over. And we literally just sit on the couch with friends doing absolutely nothing, just wasting the day away. Okay, so more likely to want to meet up with friends for a specific activity. Okay, another one. Nine times more likely that they would meet up with friends who live near them monthly or less. So that's a really interesting one that, you know, of course, we would have to talk to our kids about. But what is their definition of a friendship? Is it getting together every single day after school with their friends? Or is it weekly? Is it monthly? What does that look like for them? Okay, one more for you here. Five times more likely to have friends they've never met in real life. And I feel like you could speak to that because of the way that tech especially with your high school kids. Like I remember you telling me stories of kids telling you, oh, my friend, blah, 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 blah. Oh, where's your friend live? And it was like overseas. Right? I've had that happen very often. And for those of you watching that have worked with um, your students that are gamers, which many of our students, that's their special interest. But it's like the idea of saying um, when you talk with students and they say, yeah, you know what? I've got a best friend. I see him every weekend and it's, oh, cool. Yeah. Like, what's your friend's name? And they're like, Alex 145B4 capital Q. I'm like, that's your friend's name? Sounds like Elon Musk's child's name or something. 
<laughs> and it's like one of those things though, where they're content with that usually, but the, what's the important thing input from them, right? Sometimes they'll tell you, Hey, I'm totally cool with this. The stuff that Jesse just shared with you, the statistics let us know something that non-autistic people have different preferences with what they're looking for in friendships than autistics, right? And so that guides us. If we know that their preferences are different, are, are different, then what we can do is we can build a therapy approach around that. So but here's some more info for you that I just dug up on ASHA because Aaron Finke wrote an article for ASHA Leader. And this is exactly what you're talking about. But she said that her study revealed lack of congruence in the friendship pre preferences and practices of autistic and non-autistic people. So because an autistic person might view what does a friendship look like differently than a non-autistic person, that's gonna there's going to be a disparity there, right? Um, so here's another thing that she mentioned that she noted in the autistic adults that they had a preference for less physical and emotional closeness in their relationship. They had less interest in deep conversation or talk-based activities compared to neurotypical peers. And they had a strong desire for friends who share similar interests and with whom they would have things to do. So, I mean... It's just, it really is a revolutionary idea, right? Because we're so used to building our groups for kids and just like, I don't know how you guys do it in the high school, but we would have like all different types of kids in groups. And um, it's such a different idea to build groups based on interest, right? Rather than preference. I mean, interest and preferences rather than like anything else. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. So I was thinking about this because it's really funny that she was saying um, that one of her suggestions was to create a game club at school and watch how the kids interact and what they gravitate to. And that's exactly, you've told me that you used to do that kind of too. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was like, I was waiting. I was, I was kind of thrown off a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely um, working with our, our students, that's the biggest thing to take away is there's different preferences and we have to identify that because we can't assume that taking an autistic student and putting them into a neurotypical style group to form friendships is going to be the end all be all way for them to form friendships, right? And that's exactly what Jesse was just mentioning with the article and the research behind that. So building an environment that's a natural context, a natural social session where the kids can form relationships based on interest, based on preference. And one of the easiest ways that she was just saying is, hey, game club. I had a Nintendo Wii in my office last, oh gosh, a couple years ago. COVID things kind of screwed it up, but building opportunities for kids to form friendships naturally rather than the traditional approach, which is, hey, I'm going to teach you how to create some, some files in your head to make friends. And so you can remember that information. And so you can, you know, build bridging and baiting questions. And then what we see is the kids can learn that in the social group, but then they don't build friendships. So we're getting away from that model and we're shifting into the, the secret sauce. They form friendships different. So, and I think that 
for me at least, getting to, I mean, you created an assessment, but getting for me to be able to use that with my kids has been awesome because I think that's kind of like goes back to all the work that you do is that this starts from the assessment process. It's not just like, let's start therapy and see how it goes. It's if we can assess kids and know, figure out what their friendship preferences are, then we could focus on building those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So those three things right there, create a natural environment where friendships can happen, create an environment where it's fun, where it's comfortable, where it's enjoyable for the students to be, where they can intrinsically, where they can work on their intrinsic motivation. And also we can build that platform based on special interests. And it doesn't have to just be with autistic students and autistic students. We can build a community or a connection with in, an inclusive model, right? Autistic students and non-autistic students can connect based on similar interests. I will tell you this, put them uh, in front of Minecraft or a Roblox or something like that, and you've got a connection. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking when you should announce your free masterclass is coming up. I got a free masterclass that's not coming up. It's right now. You can, well, it is coming up, I guess, but you can sign up for it right now. Yeah, absolutely. You can just jump on speechdude.com, I think, or it's on my uh, social media accounts, but yeah. um, a free, and we'll put it in the show notes here too, but um, what it's basically um, for is to build a situation for the therapist to best assess our autistic students because formal assessments and standardized assessments and our traditional approach to how we grab data and information does not provide a comprehensive report or reflect the student's true skills and abilities. It just doesn't. So this is going to be free, great information for you to walk away with going, you know what? I am a new SLP. I just I'm, I just changed my career by going to that. So go sign up. You're going to love it. Yeah. Neurodiversity affirming, strengths-based assessing. I forget what you called it. Yeah. It's one. like the career changing neurodiversity affirming so you can rest at night medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, your brain. It's so great. <laughs> it works sometimes. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. All right. Till next time. Bye everyone. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.